I think about, uh, I was having, this is, <laughs> I hope this is not too deep, but I was like, oh man, I really wish I'd pursued writing when I had the chance, which like technically one still can, but I'm like the whole reason I didn't pursue it was because I had afraid I have no, I was afraid I'd have no money and now I have no money anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so fun being a fucking millennial. It's so terrible. Oh I'm like, how did I do everything right except for save? It's just lit. I'm lit tired. Um, ew, that was, wow, what a. Okay, boomer. You've aged yourself. <laughs> Do you ever talk to Gen Z and you're just like, oof, that wasn't my best work? Yes. What did I say? Oh, um, I was, you know, the girly thing. Like, oh, I wish I was something, something girly. Yeah. So I tried, I tried to do that at the most recent job I worked. I was like, oh, I'm a chili girl. And they were like, what? <laughs> I was like, you know, uh, a cold girly. <laughs> They make it seem so effortless. They're just like, yeah, she, she's just like a crop top girly. And you're like, oh, that sounds so cute. And then you like come in and try to use it. And they're like, <laughs> they're so patient, too. Like, they're not they even are. rude about it. No, they're really nice. Because I think they know that like kind of like our stuff was really stupid. I feel like they know that their phrases are really kind of strange. Like girly. What the fuck? Yeah. And chuggy. I haven't heard What's- that one in a couple <gasps> years. I feel like now that's like elder Gen Z. What's chuggy? Oh, oh my god, chuggy! <laughs> I'm definitely a little chuggy. I forget what chuggy was. It was, it was, it was a lot. It sounds mean. It sounds like chunky, and I don't know if I like it. Chuggy definition. Um, oh, I could have googled it too, idiot me. Um, it's an American. Oh no, a neologism coined in 2013. <laughs> it's so old. As oh my pe- god, it's old. It's a pejorative description of lifestyle trends associated with the early 2010s and millennials. Um, oh, so we are walking chuggies. Oh, like live, laugh, love is chew. Well, I always thought that was dumb. Yeah. Uggs. But- well, I like Uggs. Oh, liking friends. That's <laughs> chuggy. Ray, D- Ray Dunn mugs are chuggy. <laughs> oh. Mom jeans. Minion memes. Okay, come on. We don't do minion memes. I'm not. Yeah. Fitting. Uh, 10 ways to know you're chuggy. Okay, this is from 2021. Oh my God, I'm so excited. And once I do this, I promise we can get started. <laughs> no, I, have to I want know it. for chuggy. <laughs> Continue reading. You use herbal essence shampoo. Not anymore, but I did. <laughs> Hashtag girl boss energy. Oh my God. It's chuggy. Energy, energy in general. <laughs> oh, and if, if you are chuggy, you're a chug. <laughs> other hashtags to avoid if you don't want to be labeled a chook that sounds so bad um <laughs> so it's terrible like saying things like i did a thing <gasps> views life's a beach 20 Uh-oh. fun on your 21st birthday i'm feeling 22 on your 22nd birthday thank oh, you yeah. next okay yeah um a couple of those i've never said which i'm happy about uh you're a disney adult that's <gasps> chuggy so chuggy. I don't want to be You're lumped right. in with that though. I may be a little chuggy, but I'm not a fucking Disney adult. Number five, jean jackets. <gasps> Fuck off. I feel attacked. I have one. I, mean, I have I have one I've had since middle school. Ooh. It looks really good on me. It's so. giving chuggy. <laughs> Number six, the Garden State soundtrack. <laughs> no, I listened to it yesterday. <laughs> You're so chuggy. Oh my god, it called out. Graphic tease? Uh, but but what I almost said mean? Urban Outfitter sells those, but I feel like that's a chuggy statement. I don't know. Graphic. What kind of graphic tea? Uh, maybe like the graphic teas, like 
like where Paris Hilton had the one that was like, I hate poor, don't be poor. And then it said, don't be, don't, I hate poor people. It said, don't be poor, but also where was the lie? <laughs> I mean, that's a great fucking, oh, eight, decorative wooden signs for your home. Okay, I'm happy to know that that's being aged out, but I also feel attacked because I feel like that's sort of like, I feel like that's shared among elder millennials, Gen Xers, and boomers. I went to a party once where the point was like creating a sign. Like, you, oh, like, like Wanderlust or something. I think I threw mine out, but it was amazing and chuggy. That's such a chuggy, but like, it's like a fun making fun of chuggy party. Dunder Mifflin merch. Anything related to friends is major chug. So Jersey Whoa. just doesn't like friends or do they not like that we like it so much? I mean, I understand, but I thought it was more that it wasn't really us being super into friends. It's Gen Zers discovering it on Netflix and being super into it. Oh, OK. And then it's kind of lame. It's like it's like oh, when I decided yeah. to get really into the 90s and 80s in high school. And it's like, but you weren't even there. Well, I was there for the 90s, but barely. We were there, but. As, ba- as, as a baby number 10 i can agree with axe body spray but that's Ooh, gross that is gross talk about chug chug and chooch chug chug and along we're gonna have to do a, a, a separate skit called chooch and chooch and chug and it's of an italian chooch and also a chug because you're italian are you the chooch and i'm the chug I guess it would have to be like that because otherwise it wouldn't make any sense. I'm a wicked chug, so I'm not even <laughs> mad about it. It's fine. I think we're both pretty. I think my I've been noticing the things I post on Instagram, like being like literally me. I'm like, ooh, this is this is getting uncute. My bookstagrams like the bookstagram of a six year old woman. I'm like, oh, look at this book I read. It's so good. But that's like at least a hobby and it's sweet. Like me reposting me drunk memes being like i relate is <laughs> like that's not a hobby and it's not sweet i think they're funny but there's nothing i love more than a meme about being drunk oh i love it the one i the one i made today was about being drunk anyway <laughs> all right bitch what are we talking about today we're talking about this is the elite squad pod and we are talking about episode two well law and order special victims unit Episode two and it is titled A Single Life. And I forgot once again to look up the air date of this episode. Not that it matters, but I like to announce it. September 27th, 1999. Thank God. Thank God. (laughs) Now, starting with the title A Single Life, (laughs) the whole episode was like, don't grow up to be in a lonely single woman. 32 years old, too. 32 and washed up. I feel like this woman's single life, like literally single because she was single. Um, Like I was thinking, I'm like, wow, am I like not old sexually? Because she she was they were like, oh, she's sleeping with everybody. I'm like, but I feel like that's normal now. She's 32. And like that was like the sex in the city era. I thought everyone in New York was fucking like that was especially in your 30s. That's what. Oh, who wrote sex in the city? Candace Bushnell said everyone was fucking. So. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So they were like, this this whole thing begins with slut shaming because I don't think that was that weird. <laughs> well, it starts with single shaming because Olivia's at her local bodega. That's a bodega, right? Yes. And the guy's like, Do you want two tomatoes? And she goes, just the one. And he's like, too bad. And I was like, what? He was offering them for two for 50 cents, which still seems oh. pretty high, I'm gonna be honest with you. 
So in the background, oh, go on. Oh, no, go on. I was I was about to move on. But tell me about the background. I was going to say we hear sirens and Olivia is still kind of casually walking up to the scene. And then she stumbles upon a literal crime scene and she just busts her way in, which I've always wanted to do. Now, do you think that's normal? Is it like okay as an officer to like be like, oh, crime? Excuse me. I'm Detective Olivia Benson. And now I'm the detective. Yeah, I think because it's sex crimes, although once again, nobody treats her with any GD respect. (laughs) Not until the man shows up. Right. I feel like sex crimes or homicide, obviously, can just walk onto any crime scene and be like, what's going on here? Is it something violent? Because like, I feel like because they're detectives, they kind of usurp regular cops. Like they can always like get involved. It feels like that anyway, because it feels like, what are they going to say to her? Like, well, and they actually, you know what? What am I saying? (laughs) (laughs) What are they going to say to her? Oh, why are you here? (laughs) Some really stupid shit, which is actually what happened. Yeah, so she walks up, flashes her badge. And what the scene is, is that there's a woman dead on top of a car. And Liv asks the ground cop if this was a jumper. And he says the window wasn't open. So if she didn't jump, if she did jump, it was through glass. And the car owners in the background really pissed about it. I mean, I would be pretty upset if someone landed on my car, but I guess it is a victim and she's wearing a pink nightgown and Olivia says to the cop, did you call SVU? And he's like, why? Because she's not wearing any panties. And I was like, bro, shut up. Yeah. (laughs) So going back to my earlier statement of, do you think she could just walk onto a crime scene and not get any shit for it? Apparently not. No, not at all. No respect for sex crimes. Or once again, it's opening up to be an episode where we do not respect the victim. <laughs> not yeah. one bit. So how did that call she goes to like Elliot? She's like, hey, I was at my local bodega buying my sad tomatoes. And I stumbled <laughs> across a crime scene and now it's our crime. Do you want to like come down here? I can imagine that she rolled her eyes, called Elliot and was like, oh, we got a jumper potentially. Let's do our thing. I don't know if they gave the cross streets, but 53rd and 3rd. <laughs> that's probably what she did um i feel like this must be a lot of paperwork to stumble on your own crime scene but whatever they go upstairs to this poor vic's apartment the cops continue to be dicks yeah we could have done a whole separate episode about the csi guy and how gross he was (laughs) like he was awful from the beginning i feel like i was bad about notes on this scene and i just wrote down the cop they're talking too and he just wrote well she's not dressed in a refusal outfit when they're discussing whether or not this could be an assault or what happened here so they deem it a homicide with sexual overtones they take a look around the crime scene and they're noticing that there's two glasses of wine that are kind of half drunk and they find a pack or a, 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 a onesie of an ultra thin ribbed condom and that's when because I think they said that they talked to a witness and that they had heard roughhousing. He's like, sounds like it was consensual roughhousing. And yeah. Olivia reminds them both that just because there's two of things and a condom that's ultra ribbed, which, first of all, I would never consent to. So if you ever <laughs> if you ever find an ultra ribbed condom in my apartment and I am dead, just know that it wasn't a consensual situation because absolutely not. Now, where did they get her headshot? Is I was question. thinking that, too. <laughs> Do you like leave like beautiful pictures of yourself around your apartment so that if you're found murdered, they can be like, what happened to this girl? And how did they get her headshot when nobody even knows who this person is? Because that's another thing is that like the entire episode, we have no clue. They they go. The next scene is them going to this and being like, 
does anyone know who this is? Any of her neighbors know who this is? And they're like, no, no one knows who this is. And they're mad about it. It's another very chaotic scene uh, where they're just saying quippy things about the dead person. I'm wondering how long this theme is going to go. I forget if it's every episode. Yeah, the, like every time they're back at the precinct, it's like phones ringing, people hustling and bustling. Jeffrey's being a dick to Munch. Munch yeah. being a dick in general. Elliot is staring at photos of the dead woman and Cassidy remarks upon looking at the dead, the dead person pictures, not the headshots. It looks, she looks like she was shot out of a cannon. <laughs> This is okay. I wrote down this very chaotic. (laughs) I'll just read to you (laughs) the bullet point. So they're talking about this crime scene. Craig goes, guy on steroids, munch. No, the Yankees are on a road trip. Olivia, how about just plain old testosterone driven rape? Jeffrey's (laughs) boyfriend, munch or girl. You could toss a hundred pounds without breaking a sweat. Jeffrey's, I'll toss you, you skinny ass geek. (laughs) No, yeah, that once again, I'm like. Jeffries, this this is your place of work. Yeah, like I mean, again, now did he did he provoke her <laughs> by calling her fat? I think <laughs> yes, he did. She, but still, it's like she's like an urge escalator. She's like, I've got to escalate. She's and like, just I'm shut toss him up. You, you skinny ass geek. I'm like Jeffries, Jesus Christ. And she says it like with a sexy voice, kind of like a growl. Like, I'll toss you, skinny ass geek. I think we. We discussed last episode that maybe she like has, maybe she's attracted to Munch, but that also disgusts her. So she's super mean to him. I think you're right because it's, and this never gets explored, obviously, or we'd remember, maybe it will be. It's like those like dumb, like sitcoms, like Cece and Schmidt. That's not a dumb sitcom, but like Cece and Schmidt where they're like arguing all the time, but they're really like, there's so much sexual tension. I feel that they were trying to set that up with them. I'm just going to go ahead and make the statement. I think there's sexual tension there. Okay. Let's do I don't know why. She hates him so much for no reason. So. Exactly. I don't know why else she'd be so angry with him for calling her fat just then. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he didn't even say fat. Just like implied that she was like strong enough to throw him through a window. Okay. Well, one time on set, the, the gentlemen were trying to compliment me and they told me they call me guns because my arms are. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what, when you heard that. Did you think, oh, what a lovely compliment? No. Oh, my God. Guns. Jesus Christ. <laughs> they said, they were like, no, it's because your arms are so muscular. <laughs> Trauma. Men know Men. nothing. So Cragen asks if the neighbors know anything and uh, live in L. Let him know that, of course, they don't. But apparently she worked from home and was always carrying a laptop. What a progressive woman. <laughs> What a modern creature. And Munch launches into, because I know we loved his last conspiracy theory. He launches into a conspiracy theory about how laptops are pyramid schemes. Uh, It's going to get worse, Munch. So (laughs) they kind of are, though. I'm like too poor now to buy new iPhones. So it is a pyramid scheme. It's totally a pyramid scheme. If you want a new one, they're like, you can get a new one as soon as it comes out. But you have to give us back the old one you've been paying for and restart new payments. And I'm like, how is that legal? So Jeffries interrupts um, and she notes that the victim had a therapy appointment twice a week with uh, someone named Dr. Daniels. And then Cragen asks what the victim does for a living. She's a journalist and they read out a bunch of her article titles and they're fucking rude about it. Oh, yeah, because there's mentions of sex and penises and I think here they reveal her name is Gretchen Quinn. They may have revealed that earlier, but I don't think we've said her name yet. But it's Gretchen. Good old Gretch. 
R.I.P. Bratch. Jeffries also notes that there's all men in her. She was literally, literally looking at like a card catalog or something. Her Rolodex. Like, a Rolodex. A Rolodex. <laughs> a card catalog. I confused my Some fucking sort of old, old antique. <laughs> her GD Rolodex. And they're shaming her. There's all men in here. It's like, okay. <laughs> Again, Gretchen, come to 2022. You'll like it here, sweetie. Um, so Cragen tells Jeffries and Munch to go out and investigate the neighborhood again. Oh, no, I think he tells that was uh, Liv and L. He goes, tells them to go investigate the neighborhood again. And then he asks Cassidy if he's going to be handling the, quote, subway stroker case. Now, is this a continuation of the case that he was sent to last episode that had to do with someone like, remember in the last episode, he, um was sent to deal with someone who had molested a dead body. And he's like, is it a crime if the person's dead? Yes. So I think that's a continuation of this is a continuation of that. I wrote that down, too. I was like, this sounds familiar. We can potentially assume that this is all within. A, well, actually, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Can you imagine if the Saravejo incident happened and then a week later they're like, now we have this thing? No, because they show the dates, don't they? I just don't pay attention. You know, oh. when they're like, oh. Today, the victim's apartment, 23 East 50 Millionth Street. Sometimes they don't do that, I've noticed. That's not a real address, no. Bitch, um, I don't know. <laughs> I was making fun of myself. <laughs> um, no, but sometimes they don't do that. So you're right. I haven't been writing it down either. Um, but yeah, I guess we could assume that this is all within a month of itself. Um, and yeah, he's going to handle the subway stroker case. He does a great job. So they go out, they go back to Gretchen's apartment. They're outside of her apartment. And Liv is speaking with one of the neighbors, who is, of course, one of those hostile fucking witnesses. <laughs> her rude ass neighbor who has no time for the police, even though her fucking neighbor has been murdered. Wouldn't you like be concerned that like there's a killer in the building? Yes, I fucking would. And fucking you know what? Bitch. Frankly, you know, a lot of people in buildings are like that. I mean, there is like an element of mind your own business, but if you heard like screaming and roughhousing, as this woman says. Uh, you like someone would probably say something they'd probably complain and this lady describes as such she said i heard roughhousing then scream then crunch then the car alarm went off it's like and you didn't think to yourself what the fuck well then olivia's like did you stick your head out and she's like and have that the person see me i was like okay fine <laughs> it's like you live in a doorman building okay you at least have one layer of protection i know anyway i digress so this lady hustles along and then a couple hustle, hustles up and they're like, um, we've been waiting for this apartment. Um, do you think it's going to be free soon? And so Stabler fucks with them for being rude, which. Yeah, I hope they get hit by another dead body <laughs> while they're walking back into their home. Well, this episode is just so much like no one cares about this dead single lady. If you're a dead single lady, nobody cares. How dare you be 32 and single <laughs> 32 and single oh my well after stabler messes with them and tells them that uh he's in charge of people being allowed into the building and he's like i'm gonna cross you off the list he and benson they immediately start trying to draw comparisons for us the viewer that olivia's similar to this this poor single 32 year old Right. No, because they talk about he said something like, oh, it was that none of her neighbors who knew knew who she was. And by the way, sometimes my neighbors talk to each other outside and I get jealous because I think to myself, what? 
What the hell? <laughs> How do you know each other? I lived in the same building since May, and I have done a beautiful job of never meeting the two other people that live in my building. <laughs> um, so none of the, her neighbors know who she is, and Elle starts to kind of poke fun at Liv and be like, none of your neighbors know who you are. And she goes, cha, because I'm always with you every day. And then they talk about how Elle moved out to Queens, which is the suburbs, and she mocks him because he's admittedly a do-nothing husband. <laughs> uh well he does something in the next scene that kind of upsets me but we're not there Mm. yet um well he yeah then and they flirt because then he kind of like he calls her a monkette and then she's like "Uh," and then he just stares at her kind of longingly it was hot it was very hot and do you think it's like because they talked about how he's never home and that's why he doesn't help Kathy mow the lawn. Do you think it'd be easier to be a cop married to another cop? Do you think Elliot was staring at her and being like, oh, see, like if we were married. As an expert on marriage, let me just say. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> I was fully. You'll you'll see how I didn't laugh until you did. I was like, yes, in this situation, you are the expert on marriage as I am unmarried. <gasps> oh, oh, no. Thir- you are 32. And I am. Th- oh, not not yet. Not we are page t- 24, 23 days away from you that. You have 23 days to get your shit together. <laughs> person to person. <laughs> I would think that there's like, there would be like pros and cons about being a cop married to a cop. Like the person understands what you're doing every day. You have like reasonable expectations about each other. But on the flip side, if you want to have a family, I'm sure that would be really hard. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you would not be assigned to. You probably couldn't even work in the same precinct, much less the same department. Oh, right. Because be it's kind of like. Guess. Yeah, that's a good pros point. Pros and cons. But clearly, Stabler's thinking about the pros. <laughs> the pros and that dark, mm. dark hair. <laughs> so now we go to the fucking Stabler house. Ugh. Ugh. We meet God. all his children for the first time. Who are awful and in awful form. Thank God. Maureen's talking on. A phone that I think I had in the 1990s as well. The garbage disposal is clogged and they're kind of like making small talk around. See, my dad would have been fucking pissed if the garbage disposal was clogged. And Elliot's kind of just giggling about it. He's like, ah, life, right? And then Dickie runs in. Oh, God. Dickie, uh, his son runs in and says, I can't find my turtle. I think I left him in the sink. Elliot and Kathy look at each other and Kathy kind of giggles. A turtle's been murdered. A turtle's been murdered. Now you have to clean it out of the garbage disposal. And you guys think it's cute? Your son's pet died. Okay, also, how big was this turtle? Because the only ones I know who would fit into a garbage disposal by accident are the tiny ones that used to give people salmonella. So you're giving him a salmonella pet on top of it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the, the stablers are a fucking mess. Maybe this is why I can't be a parent. I would have started to cry. I would have been like, what? Are you fucking serious? I mean, I don't like Dickie. He's probably my least favorite of the Stabler children. But children, but in this moment, I feel bad. I know. Cool. That's a lot to explain. Because first of all, it's that it's dead. And second of all, it's that it's your fault. Meanwhile, Kathy's fucking smirking. I'm like, all right, guys. They're like, mm-hmm. <laughs> so now we switch to uh, the courtroom where Cassidy is dealing with the subway stroker case. I kind of liked Cassidy in this scene. I thought he was like, they were giving him a really bad edit as far. Well, not edit. <laughs> I'm like, this is a reality TV page. <laughs> I'm talking about love is blind too much. Um, they're giving him a bad like there. He seems uh, he seems simple. So my 
first watch, I thought he was the biggest idiot to ever idiot in a court scene. And then thinking, I was thinking further with his the name Brian Cassidy. I'm thinking they are inferring that he's probably like an Irish Catholic cop and an Irish good Irish Catholic boy was probably raised to not use the word penis in front of um, the judge is an older woman. So I'm thinking. Oh, true. So once I thought about it from that lens, I was a little nicer, but he's <laughs> I also don't. OK, I'll save that comment for when it comes up. But I wrote here that he's acting like a high school boy who has been pretending to be a cop for an hour. So Abby Carmichael has joined us. And um, this is once again the only order we get in the entire episode. So savor it. And she's cross-examining Cassidy regarding the Subway Stroker case. And uh, she asks him what basically what happened, like what was going on. And Cassidy describes that. Um, th- so this is another guy. He looks kind of like what's what was your your boyfriend's from the oh, last episode? Crap. What was his name? Oh, I, I heard it. Mr. Colson or Clausen. Oh, Mr. Mr. Cloister. Mr. Cloister. Mr. Cloister. Mr. Cloister. This guy kind of reminded me of Mr. Cloister, like his look. He was just kind of like your, he was like basically pervert of the week. This guy, so he's on the subway and apparently he's a doctor of, well, of like scholarly doctor at some made up college in the city on the show. (laughs) And so apparently he's on the subway and he sees this lady and he starts trying to chat her up and then he notices that she's not responding to him and he thinks that she's asleep. And so he decides, well, let me just take her hand, put it on my wiener and I'll take my hand and put it on her boob and... It's gonna do that to myself. So then midway through all that, he realized she was dead. I want to set the record straight that Paige just described this a lot more maturely than Cassidy was able to. <laughs> <laughs> Cassidy was like, and then he uh moved his hand and then he she moved her hand to touch his uh member genitals. And, like the, <laughs> and the judge is just looking at him like I'm a she's like an older woman, like maybe in her sixties, she's like Probably like, kid, I've been a judge for a long time. You can say penis. The defense attorney stands up and he's like, you consider this a sex crime? So this whole scene, the D, the um, I keep calling him the DA, but it's not. The defense attorney is basically trying to argue that he didn't commit a crime because it turns out the victim was dead. He's like, what do you call that then? And Cassie goes, I don't know what you call it, but it's disgusting. <laughs> And he like screams it and the, and the d- attorney goes, so you disagree on a moral level? It's like, sir, with or without the deadness, it was a moral complication because first he thought she was asleep, which is still non-consensual. Then be only because she's dead, you're trying to argue that it's not a felony. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know he's the defense attorney and they have to take whatever tech they can, but I was still like, hill to die on, not it, buddy. <laughs> Well, and I looked it up because I was really troubled by this because I was like, why are they really writing into a script? Is it a this law? It, well, OK, so in New York State, as of 2016, like so probably still today, it's a class A misdemeanor and you can get up to 364 days in jail and then a thousand dollar fine. So they let you out just short of a year if you oh. do anything to a dead body. So apparently it's really not that big a deal still to this day. And we're the irrational ones. So that guy's like walking among us now. Oh, yeah. That was 1999. He's been out for, I mean, he probably is back in jail because he definitely reoffended. but. Oh, he told, especially after he got off for this crime. Bum, bum. <laughs> bum, bum. Now we're back at the station and Craig and asked Liv and Elle what they came up with. And they're basically like, 
they just collected a bunch of papers from her apartment, but they couldn't find anyone. Of, like, they couldn't find literally anyone who knows this lady because there's no voicemails on the machine. There isn't a next of kin on her lease. And Cragen says, we're not going to let this person become a Jane Doe. How do we do that? And Olivia reminds them that she had a shrink that they found the name of like yesterday. <laughs> why? I don't know why they didn't call him immediately, but... That was weird. It's like Jeffrey said it and then they were kind of like, shut up. They're like, shut up, Jeffries. What would her shrink know about this person at all? Anything at all. We can't find anybody. Jeffries was out to lunch that day. She's like, I keep hearing something in my like third eye. <laughs> They're like asking for information I have. She's buying like another like sexy sleeveless vest to wear. To the- <laughs> She's at Nordstrom. She's like, ooh, this one makes my arms look very muscular and beautiful. They're like, would you like the matching pleated pants? Um, do you have them? (laughs) Of course. Actually, she's probably at like a fucking Filene's because it's the 90s. But yeah, it would have been a Filene's. And then she might have gone to the Filene's basement if she had time. Ooh, Ooh. What a nice little day for her. (laughs) So they venture over to Dr. Daniel's office. Um, Yeah, Dr. Daniel's. And he's a little bit of my type because he seems... You know what I'm talking about. He seems like he's not six foot. Oh, my. Oh, yeah, that's so funny. I wrote he is so stereotypical looking. This is what people thought therapists looked like in the 90s. His hair would not have worked nowadays. Can you imagine him walking around like that? I have not seen that haircut in years. It's not short. It's not long. It's just. It's It's just just hair. hair. Yeah. It's it's like a mullet, but it isn't, which was a very common thing in the 90s. Like a mullet that wasn't a mullet. Yes. And he leads them into his office where he has like multicultural decorations, which I think. I, well, I was like, OK, they're trying to denote that he's a man of culture and knowledge. He's well traveled. Of course, he has zero knowledge about the victim because they're like, OK, so like, what can you tell us about Gretchen Quinn? He's like, oh, well, uh, doctor patient confidentiality. And they're like, all right, well, she's she's dead. He's like. Basically the, I don't know her gif. He's like, yeah. he's like, I don't know anything about her. I'm like, you're her therapist. Try again. She says that her parents are both dead and she's got no boyfriend, boyfriend, <laughs> boyfriend, <laughs> no boyfriend. or fiance that, she, that he knows about. And that's kind of all he can give them. He seems like very, he's kind of breathy. He's sort of like, oh, her parents are both dead. She was a very troubled woman. and they're like okay they're like all right thanks he's sort of like daryl hall like if i could give you a visual but with the energy of like a distressed raffi yes (laughs) so they they venture over to the emmy's office and liv is noting kind of as they walk in that dr daniels didn't ask how gretchen died would it be rude to ask i feel like that'd be my first question i'd be like how the fuck did she die especially if you're her therapist wouldn't she want to know if it was suicide I mean, I would, I have a therapist, and if I died, I would hope she'd at least be fucking sad about it. Yeah. Not sitting there being like, oh, oh, Brittany, a deeply troubled girl. So deeply (sighs) troubled. Mm. All right, well, nothing much I can tell you. Bye. I know all her deepest, darkest secrets, but uh, I don't know how I can help. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Thanks. So the Emmy says that there's lacerations, how she died, that there's lacerations from the glass. She's got a broken neck. She's got broken ribs, a broken lumbar, and it's all from the fall. Liv repeats that the neighbors heard a commotion, and the Emmy says that it must have been consensual because Gretchen has no internal abrasions. 
And Liv reminds everyone that a gun to the head wouldn't leave an internal liberation. Even though there has been zero evidence of any gun anywhere, Olivia. I was going to say, um, to me, from the very beginning, this has been a pretty clear cut case of suicide. But I guess the double, I know the condom and the two glasses of wine is confusing. Now, again, as a, as a gal in New York, sometimes two glasses of wine, sometimes you forget that you poured the original glass or you couldn't find it because you left it in the bathroom and then you pour yourself another and then you find the two glasses and you bring them back together on the table. Well, so I I wrote my notes. The Emmy says it's consistent with the suicide and Olivia's a baby about it. She's just like, (laughs) no, I don't think that's what it is. And it's like, okay, well, just keep investigating, Olivia. And the Emmy like leans in and goes, I'm on your side, detective. I know. Honestly, Olivia bothered me this episode. I thought she was rightfully frustrated, but you're right. She was kind of giving everyone the business, like, kind of when she didn't have to. She just came in really hot, and and we will find out she is on the right track about many things, and I obviously agree with her about how disgusting all the cops were at the the crime scene, but she's just such a nudge. Like, when this... If she's hearing any information that doesn't corroborate what she's thinking she's a nudge about it like the coroner who is giving her all these straight facts is just like all right here's what she's literally giving her nothing but facts and Livia's just like mm, I don't know about that yeah she would probably thrown out the window I'm like all right well there's plenty of people to fight with in this episode it's not this poor Emmy who's yet to be replaced with the beautiful Tamara Tooney but she's not that's probably why she left she was getting pissed off with <laughs> Olivia's constant <laughs> attitude <Her> fucking attitude <laughs> And I didn't hear anything about a toxicology report. No. So I just want to, okay, because I just want to say, um, you know, it's not good, but sometimes if you get drunk enough, you can convince yourself. Yeah, why wouldn't they at least get her blood alcohol content to see if maybe she was a little inebriated? I don't, I don't right. know. Right, or drugged in some way. I thought that was strange. They're like, yes. here's all the issues, um, but no, she probably wasn't. So in that way, not justice for Olivia, because she still has an attitude, but it's like, that would have been my question. I'd be like, but like, did we do a talks report? The Emmy's like, I'm on your side, Paige. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, sorry. okay, sorry, geez. <laughs> <laughs> so they go back to Cragen's office, and Olivia says that she's called everyone that Dr. Daniels told them about, which is apparently no one. It was mentioned earlier, I think by Elliot, the first time they were in Cragen's office, that they found out that she has a sister named... Yes, her, her next of kin, yes. Yes, her next of kin is her sister named Ellen, who lives in the Boulder, Colorado area. Because that's the only person that they can find that knows this lady, Elliot suggests that she was probably in hiding for somebody, from somebody. The red vines are back. That oh, is, I didn't notice that. Yes, Cragen has red vines in his office. Um, I don't think he pointedly offers them to Olivia, Olivia and Elliot again. But yeah, I was like, okay. I was wondering if it's a nod to his recovery from alcohol because when you don't drink, you crave sugar. But that's, I think, pretty, that's just at the initial quitting of. I only know this because I did dry January and had really bad sugar cravings. But I don't, I don't know. That was just my thought. No, on the it red could vines. be. It could be, actually, because remember on the first episode, he was going really hard on just sweets in general. He was oh, just yeah. Like a- Donuts, red vines. Sweet whore. <laughs> Just like sticking, me. Sticking a leg out for them sweets, Cragen. Mm. <laughs> so, um, 
So Kraken tells him they need to put more pressure on the doctor because he's being uncooperative. And then he gets a call and it's for Elliot, which would be annoying. I'd be like, what? Or I guess maybe like the person called Elliot's desk and Elliot wasn't there. So they just call like his bestie Kraken. See where he's at. They're like, what's up, Kraken? And Elliot gets excited and he confirms that the computers are in fact amazing because CSI was able to get a fingerprint from one of Gretchen's wine glasses and it's linked to the New York State Department of Psychiatry and they belong to Dun Dun. Dr. Daniels. I wrote, time to lay down the fucking law with this guy. Yeah, now they're like fucking, now now we're fucking pissed. I don't know why he would bother. I guess it's just a reflex. Maybe people didn't know as much about like fingerprinting back then because I'm like, I would have freaking, I would have just told them. I would have been like, yeah, because like you didn't wipe down your wine glass. They go back to his office. Um, They have a very weird side plot where his brother is brother. his lawyer. This literally has nothing to do with the rest of the episode. Maybe they were trying to red herring us with his like, just like his life and like people kind of like being like, I'm jumping in to save him here. And it's like, oh, what does he have to hide? Is he in on it? Right. So because you're right, it was really fucking random. It was much like Clarissa from episode one who we never got to meet. Oh, yeah. But yeah, they're in they're in his office again and the lawyers in the lawyer brothers doing the lawyer brother things and being like, he had nothing to do with this. You've got nothing on him. <laughs> I know. I'm just like, I know this is the, only the second episode for them, but I'm like, I've been around a while and you don't get to tell me that. So they ask Daniels what he was doing the same evening after he left Gretchen's apartment because now they know he was there because of the fingerprint. And he says that he went to meet a fellow lady therapist uh, for dinner at her apartment and he got there around 630 and left around 9 p.m. Which made me laugh because I was like, so he's only friends with other therapists. Other lady therapists. And also that means he's double dicking. Uh, Well, not according to the other therapist when they go to chase her down and they go assault her at the hospital with their questions. And she's like, it's purely professional. And she does confirm that they did have this liaison. Yeah, I was thinking she seemed a little like low-key defensive, kind of like, yeah, we banged and we bang sometimes, but you're not allowed to ask me that question. Mind your own business. Yeah, she seemed a little like, she seemed a little like jealous mad because like, I think they were asking, I think they asked her if she knew Gretchen too. And then she looked a little like, I don't know anything about his Mm. private life. And it's just like, ew. And Gretchen only knows men, as we come to find out. So I'm like, no, that was a dumb question. Of course, she doesn't know Gretchen. She's a girl. Yeah, exactly true. Because her Rolodex would have said, Dr. Bitch Face with red hair. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I'm glad I didn't like her and I couldn't tell. No. (laughs) She was a stank dude and I didn't appreciate it. And she was probably just mad because Gretchen, a young woman of 32, that actually, that shade of red that her hair is, is also very 90s. It's very, like, one shade Miranda Hobbs has her hair for yes. one of the seasons of Sex and the City. You do not see women color their hair that color very often anymore. You are absolutely right. It was, like, this very bright red that they just kept. Oh, maybe it was because of Annie Lennox. Oh, that's a good thought. Oh, you know what? Let's blame Annie Lennox. It looked good on her, but guys, yes. you're not all Annie Lennox. <laughs> Not everyone can have those angles and that hair. Mm, And this woman surely does not. Fuck her. She doesn't know anything. They're outside the hospital and Liv and Elle are chatting and they think that the therapist, they think that Dr. Daniels is lying and he definitely is. Someone calls Elliot again and apparently it's from a magazine. He has like a contact at a magazine. One of the ones that Gretchen used to freelance for. Is his name Buddy? 
I looked on IMDb and I don't know if he's Buddy or the person they use later to look up some financial records is named Buddy. I think I think it's this guy because when he calls, he goes, hey, Buddy, which I was like, I didn't think that was his name. <laughs> I know. And then we meet him and I'm like, oh, Buddy. Oh, buddy. But I guess okay. it's like it's better than naming somebody Stefan Tanzik than Stephen <laughs> <laughs> Marta Stevens. But they go to, I think it's supposed to be the Ledger, the New York Ledger, and they meet Elliot's friend, and he's, again, very typical kind of 90s guy. A raging misogynist. Just a fucking dick. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they ask her, they're like, do you know Gretchen? And he's like, no, no, she was just some lady on the phone to me. I deal with tons of colonists. They show him her headshot. He said, she's just, and Olivia goes, a stone-cold fox. And he goes, no, you're a stone-cold fox and a babe. She's a deep, deep well you'd fall into. And I wrote, I fucking hate men. Right? Because like, okay, let's unpack that quickly. This is a deep, (laughs) deep well. So at first I'd be like, for Gretchen, but then I'd be like, for myself, because it's like, I'm sorry. So are you implying that I'm a stone cold fox, but not a beautiful, deep, deep well that could trap any man in my darkness and mystique? Ugh. Is he saying that Gretchen is prettier than Olivia? Like, that whole thing was unnecessary. Yeah, that was... I don't even exactly know what he was trying to say. Like, she's like a mystery he wants to solve or, or something. I don't know. I think it was supposed to be that she was like a haunting beauty. Now, if I had my headshots done and left around my apartment for the police to find when I am murdered, um, maybe if I was all done up in those pictures, people would think, oh, it's just good lighting. Now I'm thinking, because like, well, I guess I won't give it away, but I'm like, maybe Gretchen did print out her pictures and leave uh, them around. Oh, that's, po- that's possible. <laughs> just strewn about the apartment like Regina George. She's just like throwing her picture around. She's like, mm, yes. Knowing what <laughs> exactly. I feel like she Regina George this whole thing. <laughs> oh, God. So again, they leave after having learned absolutely nothing from this man except for men are awful. Um, and they're outside and they, we close up on a street cart. This has nothing to do with anything except for we close up on a street cart that says hot and delicious. And I just <laughs> fucking can't. It's like, OK. <laughs> Liv is on the phone with somebody while Elle is ordering these hot, delish hot dogs. And apparently it's like a bank or something. Again, we never know who the fuck these people are that are on the phone. <laughs> they're just always getting phone calls and receiving information. But she sometimes she somehow finds out that Gretchen was spending like pounds of money on expensive dinners the most recent one was this one called il posto vecchio so there they go off to il posto vecchio and the maitre d is useless and annoying and so while the maitre d is being useless and annoying a waitress pops over and goes oh yeah i know that pretty lady she was with dallas warner famed new york city anchor and she paid for the entire meal and left a great tip that was horrible And they're like, oh, great tipper. And they're like, him? And she's like, no, her. So we go to meet Power Dallas Warn- Warner at the news station. I wrote, he's kind of hot in a bland way. Yeah, he's kind of hot in like uh, Robert's, well, I guess I think Robert Stack was hot, the original Unsolved mm. Mysteries guy. And he yes. was being coy. And again, he's walking around the news office talk- while talking to the cops, getting his hair done. Now, he he clearly he den- denies really knowing uh, Gretchen beyond just like knowing her in like a collegiate way. And but Elliot and Olivia act like he's the biggest dick they've ever met. And I'm like, 
hold on, guys, you're going to do this work for like 20 more years. You're going to meet way worse people. And yeah, the guy is a dick, but he's not a dick yet. <laughs> like, we're going to find out he's fucking awful, but like not right now. So I feel like they're overreacting here. His tone is kind of like, ooh, like what's going on? I only I haven't talked to her in a month. Sort of like get out of here with this petty some lady's been murdered bullshit. But then that leads Olivia to refer to him as a sociopath. I, yeah, I hate when people say that. It's a sociopath, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, I didn't get that from this interaction. I thought he was kind of a dick, but he's not like, I don't know. He's just kind of like regular, rude, famous guy. Yeah. I guess they're triggered just because they're like, no one, (laughs) everyone. Everyone they walk up to is like, what? What do you want? We don't know this lady. <laughs> I have to say, this is, I know we're like, we're looking back with a bigger magnifying glass, but I'm like, wow, everybody is so unhelpful all the time. All the time. I'm Except like for terrified waiters. of, oh, so during this interaction with Dallas, um, before they started overreacting, he mentions that the night that Gretchen was murdered, he was at a restaurant with his wife and a couple of friends. He writes down the restaurant name and he says that you can go check with the maitre d' without contacting my wife, I assume. Uh, because he knows that they know that. Oh, yeah. So they were probably knacking boots. So they go back to the other restaurant and the waiter there tells them that basically he saw Dallas and Gretchen sitting there and that Gretchen was crying and Dallas seemed kind of like cold. And so it was most likely a breakup conversation. So after that, they go back to Dallas's office where he is now alone and he admits that they were together the Monday that she died, but that he was in shock when she when they mentioned that that she had died. And, that, and they were like, well, you seemed fine with it. And he goes, I was trying to be discreet. So then Liv, this is where I agree with you. She was kind of wiling out a little bit because she was just like, so you lied to the police? Do you know any other lying liars? Stuff like this always drives me crazy when I'm watching a show like, th- like this. Because it's like, you're a police officer. You want the most information you can get from this person possible. Do you think by sassing him, he's going to be like, you're right, lady. I... I cheated on my wife with this woman and then I was rude to her and broke it off and broke her heart. No, he's like, screw you, Olivia Exactly. Benson. And he kind of said that. He goes like, basically like, enough of these fucking theatrics from you or you're not going to get anything from me and I'll call. I think he said he'd call his lawyer. Elliot kind of realizes he's like, not having it with Olivia and he ushers her out kind of treating her like a little lady and then she agrees once they're alone like he's not going to talk to her because he's a misogynist yes a a lazy one at that but misogynist (laughs) nonetheless so she sends Elle back in and for some reason now I'm assuming he has some type Dallas has some type of like rooftop balcony attached to his office yeah like they go out onto his nice rooftop balcony I am struck here by how calm Stabler is Like, these past two episodes, he has never really overreacted. He's super calm. And I think they're trying to, at this point, paint him as the mature, level-headed, seasoned detective. And Olivia's kind of like the young, spunky newcomer. And I'm like, oh, how the tads will turn. The tads will literally flip over. (laughs) So I wonder how long we get, like, cool, like, slick Elliot. (laughs) Because he doesn't last that long. Then they kind of, you know, hearkening back to even his family. I remember thinking that <laughs> regarding the turtle and the fucking garbage disposal, <laughs> he talks a lot about losing his temper with his family. And I think there's another scene where 
one of the kids is playing the piano and he yells at them or I could be thinking of It's a Wonderful Life. (laughs) (laughs) They're so similar. That's a horrible scene. I like I that kind of altercation makes me sweaty like on TV. Me too. My palms are sweating talking about it. Basically the end of that scene is Elliot tries to get um because Dallas finally admits that he had a conversation with um Gretchen about how she was stupping her stupping Dr. Daniels and that she was attracted to Dr. Daniels because even though he knew the ugliest parts of her he still bad wanted a therapist very bad therapist that's mm-hmm. why he's a bad therapist mm-hmm. Gretchen they're not supposed to want to bang you mm-hmm. um and so Dallas says the one good thing well he's, he says I, th- I told her she should have sued him you're right I he's know, not I, that bad yeah I, I know justice for Dallas even though he is like a bad person but also I was like no, he is right. He, she should fucking sue him. She should have never seen a male therapist. But I mean, that's beside the point. Obviously, we're going to learn why and all that stuff. But should have seen a fucking lady therapist. And so I think the whole reason that Dallas even broke up with her is because he found out she was up in the therapist. And he was like, and, and even though he was cheating on his wife with her, he did consider her like his girlfriend, I think is how it was. Yeah, that's what it sounded like. So and. Yeah, and her her promiscuity seemed to kind of disturb him. So I think that's why he broke it off with her, which is still kind of, it's like, you're still cheating on another lady with this lady, so you're still kind of a scumbag. But like, I guess I get it. Elliot's like, do you want to go on record and say that? And he's like, nope. No, I'm good. So we return to the precinct where Munch is explaining the word necrophilia to Cassidy. And I just wrote, this would have been helpful before the trial. So the other thing happening at the same time is that Elliot thinks that Dallas is not the killer um, because he basically had an alibi. Why would he involve his wife? He didn't have to. And Cragen thinks that basically they should be looking really hard into Dr. Daniels because they got his fingerprints at the scene. They got a call from the morgue that they need to make room at the morgue. So they need to move Gretchen's body because no one's claimed it. Just so sad. So they say they haven't gotten anywhere with the sister. They've hit a dead end. They're like, we got all her stuff, but yeah, we've hit a dead end. And Cragen is like, well, why don't you go through her stuff? He's very sassy. So they gar- start going through all her books and all her papers. And I have to say, if you start going through all my books, you just be like, bitch likes to read thrillers. But you don't learn anything else about me. If you were to go through, first of all, they would pick up my books and go, guess she has <laughs> They would have to blow the dust off. Be like, um, I guess she doesn't read. Oh, she has a Kindle. Ooh, it's also dusty. Um, <laughs> so, um but at, while they're going through her stuff, they read a bunch of her article titles and, um, and they're looking through that. And then they find a book from a high school. It was a book of Sylvia Plath poems. And um, they're Which not I wrote, surprised. Wow. And it was from her old high school in New Jersey. They managed to go back to the high school and figure out what her real name was. Um, and it ended up being Susan Sadarsky. Yes. So Gretchen Quinn is not her real name. Her real name is Susan Sadarsky. So Dr. Daniels is at the station. And he explains that Susan slash Gretchen had showed throughout their time uh, during their sessions, showed signs of classic sexual abuse. Um, in that she was promiscuous, overtly sexual, very insecure, always asking if she was attractive. Um, I just want to go on record. That's never happened to me, but I am all of those things. <laughs> I l- He's trying to defend himself here, which makes me so angry, where I'm like, the first inkling of sexual attraction he had to her, he should have GTFO'd. But um, nope, 
Instead, he's here to tell us about her history of deranged lovers. Yeah, which, he refers. Yeah, that's really rich coming from you, asshole. Literally, which Olivia says, he's like, she had a history of deranged lovers. And she's like, yeah, including you, you psycho. <laughs> who- Thanks, Olivia. Here, here I agree with her. I've got her back here. Right. Well, because he's a psycho, because after letting them know that she has she was showing signs of having been sexual abuse, uh, sexually abused as a child, she revealed to him eventually that her father started raping her at 13, just shortly after her 13th birthday. Elliot is reporting him to the psychiatric board, as stated. Um, So they travel to (laughs) Elliot. This scene. They travel to Elliot's house and um, he's talking to Kathy about this gross case. Kathy's just giving him the sexy eye and stroking him up and down, trying to talk about the kid's grades. And I'm like, lady, (laughs) I don't care if you're used to it at this point. So I am probably horrible because I had the flip side reaction where Elliot comes in. He's like, oh, like abused by her therapist and her father. Like what kind of father would do that? And I was like, Elliot, I mean, I know I'm shocked, but you work in sex crimes. No, true. I was like, that truly it is appalling and he should be appalled. But I was like, he just kept repeating it like it was like a foreign idea. And I was like, okay, the next 20 years are going to be really upsetting for you. No, you're right. He was kind of doing like the John Mulaney sketch where he's just like, wait, you mean it's like that's kind of what was happening here with her father. Yes, this is called special victims unit. Her f- and then and then his wife's trying to bang him and caressing his bare chest in, in his blue tidy whiteies. And he's just going, her father, <laughs> her father. I know. I, I mean, I think at that point, I as the wife would be as a wife. I know. That- <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what I would do. <laughs> but don't you think you'd be like, OK, like this isn't happening tonight because he's talking about <laughs> yes. some really upsetting sexual violence so maybe i shouldn't be rubbing his arms all ooh. i would literally have been like doing my little dance on the bed like "Mm," and then as soon as he mentioned and then her father was doing her because that was the actual sentence she was like oh my god yes you're right he said that yeah he goes you know who else was doing her the father and it's like (laughs) ew (laughs) i obviously i'm not laughing at the subject matter i'm laughing at the dialogue the dialogue like Elliot, oh. but that would have been my first. I would have been like, come here, Elliot, sexy <laughs> dance in my Ooh. my mom moo lingerie all naked <laughs> under here. And he would have been like, you know who else was doing her? The father. And then I would have immediately <laughs> like stomped out the robe. of the Yes, I would have stomped out of the fucking room and cried. <laughs> been like, all right, I'm going to have a drink. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I'm going to go try to fish the rest of that turtle out of the garbage disposal. <laughs> You know, Olivia called in the middle of that and he had to leave and it was left up to Kathy. <laughs> Kathy had to go deal with fucking Yertle the turtle. <laughs> oh, God. So that was the only thing that happened in that scene was he was basically just recounting that as a father. Um, he's disgusted by like the you notion. you need to be a father to be disgusted <laughs> by, uh, by incest. Right. Or exactly. statutory rape. Well, apparently Kathy's so used to these conversations or herself isn't grossed out by it. She was like... Mm. Uh, Elliot, Dickie flushed Clay down the toilet. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was something else she told. During this whole thing, Kathy changed the subject and says that Elizabeth made Elliot a Play-Doh ashtray and that Dickie flushed it down the toilet. So ending note, Dickie needs to be rehomed. 
He's ruining this house. This is an anti-Dickie Stabler podcast. and That was, what is wrong with him? He's just sticking things in like the plumbing. It doesn't belong he's there. He's ruining the plumbing. He's killed his turtle. Um, dun dun. Back at the station. Munch and Liv are discussing Gretchen and Munch suggests that, suggest, Munch suggests that Gretchen's sister Ellen was probably raped by the father as well. A brief moment where Munch is doing actual police work. Um, I feel bad because the only note I wrote for the scene is Cassidy. So what did he do? (laughs) What did he do? Because I I think I was really mad at what he ever said. And I said, fuck this scene. Cassidy's obsessing over the necrophilia thing and talks about how apparently common it is, which would, which I guess it is explaining how it's only a class A misdemeanor. So they're like, this happens too much. We're going to have the jails all filled up. So Cragen says that Ellen with Gretchen's sister is actually at the station. I guess all that calling, she was finally like, I'll get my ass to New York and deal with all this. She's definitely acting like that. They find her in their office and she seems very unsettled, super stiff. She's very cold. Very cold. She's got her buttoned up kind of. She looks a little bit like Alexander Cabot in her first season. Oh, she does. Just a little pursed, angry lips. Um, And she says she hasn't talked to Gretchen in 20 years and that just out of the blue kind of recently Gretchen called her and said that she wanted to like rekindle a relationship. But that it was insincere um, that she's annoyed with her still because Gretchen stopped bothering to call her again after that. She calls her a drama queen. It's all very, she's very flip about her sister and about her sister's death. Exactly. She seems really kind of annoyed by her, like sort of the way everyone's kind of talking about Gretchen slash Susan, that she was sort of just like a lot. No one's very sensitive. And she literally just says that she's there to sign the papers and then go shopping. Then they make a big assumption that because Ellen is dressed well, she must have taken money from Susan slash Gretchen's trust fund because she could right. possibly have made her own money in Denver. Yeah, I think we forgot to mention that, that during one of those rando scenes at the office or at the station, they mentioned that Ellen, not Ellen, Gretchen has this big trust fund that she just hasn't touched, like yes. none of the money, to which I say, well, where are you getting the fucking $300 for dinner? Because writers... Writers either have to have a trust fund or, like, two other jobs to be paying for those. Yeah. They don't pay writers that well. <laughs> um, good point. Yeah, I, that's a really good point. But they go back to, what was it, the New York Ledger? The Ledger, because apparently the Ledger is able to find out who has trust funds. Is- yeah, that was very odd. But they had some poor schmuck who didn't want to do this. Let me tell you how the scene seemed to me. They go to this guy's office. They're like, can you tell us about this person's money? And he's like, no, I'm not allowed to tell you about other people's money. And they're like, do it anyway. And he's like, okay. So he types in their name and is like, here's the deal about their money. And I was like, I don't understand what just happened. Gretchen's is untouched, but Ellen's has been tapping into hers periodically over the last, like, however, so many years. And it's a living trust. So they find out this way that, Gretchen's father, Ellen and Gretchen's father, is actually alive. Yes, so that is a huge revelation. And I was like, how does the father have all this money? They go to visit him at his, and I wrote, dot, 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 shoe factory? Yes, a shoe factory warehouse in New Jersey. Apparently, there's a lot of money in the shoe factory industry. Now, this is horrible but he seems like a really like nice old guy which is <gasps> not right and it's no. wrong but i was like 
No, he couldn't have done this. He seems so nice. I'm so relieved you said that. Oh, no. Because I thought the same thing. I was like, um, regrettably, I feel really bad for him. That guy made me feel safe looking at I him. I know. And he was like tubby and he kind of seemed excited they were there. And I don't know. I didn't, I didn't like the casting. They, he isn't excited for long because they proceed to inform him about his daughter's death in a very weird way. They very go, weird. Your daughter died. And he like starts to tear up. He's like, what are you talking about? And they're like, oh, yeah, she um, fell out of a window in this area of Manhattan. And he's like, well, that's not possible. Why would she be there? And they're like, we're talking about Susan. He's like, oh, yeah, well, no, duh. I'm talking about like my little, little daughter. That couldn't have been her. So, yeah. He cries because he thinks it's his new daughter who is younger Mm. um, and not his daughter who they reference. They're like, Susan, born in 1967, which is how I made the math work in my head earlier to figure (laughs) out she was 32. And that's when I got very defensive of her. My notes say they tell him Susan is dead in a weird way. He's weird about it. I'm annoyed by everybody. So he, like everyone before him, is also kind of flip about Susan's death. He's like, she's been lost to me many years ago. Oh my god. Such a sad child. No, it was like, Ugh. because we trust this man, even though it's wrong. They picked the wrong actor. They should have picked a more smarmy. I would have taken Dallas over this guy. Oh, I know. So, okay. So they go outside and they're discussing how basically, obviously, this guy wouldn't admit to like doing anything, but right. the statute of limitations on Gretchen's abuse has probably run out. Olivia decides they need to talk to Ellen and press her to get her to confirm if the abuse was also happening to her, because then they would have a living witness to this abuse, potentially get him on some type of molestation charges. I will hop in right now and just say that I googled this earlier, and maybe it wasn't the case in 1999, but to my knowledge, based on Wikipedia slash the internet, there is no statute of limitations on sexual assault in the state of New Jersey. So that would be wrong. But I, I, I don't know if that was true in 1999. Or if they, just for the sake of the episode, they ignored this. But according to the internet, they would have been able to press charges. Well, maybe, maybe I read the first or heard the first no, when Liv said that. No, you're not wrong. I just, okay. because of something they say later, I went to go Google. Something on IMDb was telling me that a law they bring up isn't, the way they phrase the law, it's completely different. So I was Googling about statute of limitations in new jersey and that's what i found out it kind of switches to live being outside of gresham's building pensively thinking about how sad this all is and how sad she is because she's single she too <laughs> is 32 single living uh, a single life fatherless for the most part with a terrible father for a father and she looks up at Gretchen's apartment window and she sees that fucking trash couple in there hanging some fucking tacky dumb blinds. Oh my God, I totally didn't pick up on the fact that that couple got that apartment. Yeah, they were fucking pleased about it too. So I hope Damn they fall it. out of the window. I hope the window that they used, that they replaced, Gretchen's the one that Gretchen fell through. I hope it fucking shatters and they fall through it too. I hope they get a roach infestation. Oh, I, you know what? I hope they do, too. I hope they find roaches in their bed and in their pants legs, and I hope they're sitting on the toilet and one crawls up their leg. Not that that's ever happened, but it has. It was awful. Oh my and God. I was a little drunk, and I think you know how I handled it. <laughs> oh, God. Dun-dun. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, back at the station, 
Olivia walks in on Craig and holding a fucking liter of whiskey, I think, or vodka. And she goes, hey, I thought you didn't drink, which is what I was thinking, too. And he goes, I don't. That doesn't mean you can't, which feels weird. My coworkers have made me margaritas because I cried, but they don't just like open up huge bottles of booze and be like, "Mm, do you need some? I mean, they are having a heart to heart because he knows that because then it goes back to, again, how Liv is a single alone (laughs) woman. She has no one. No one to go home to because she brings it up. She says, you know, once everyone leaves here, we all just go and live our separate lives. Like, yes, Uh, that's what I do at my work, too. Yeah, no, um, people go home, Liv. It's kind of like that friend, that coworker who's got, like, she recently broke up with her boyfriend, and so she wants to hang out all the time, and you're like, I, I, I can't. Like, doesn't she have friends? Like, just because you don't have a partner doesn't mean there aren't people in your life. Like, her mom is always trying to get dinner with her. Right! Go have dinner that one with- time, or... Speaking of alcoholics, Serena yeah. Benson. Oof. Maybe that's why. She's like, I don't want to go drink with my alcoholic. <laughs> She's like, I'd rather hang out with my alcoholic boss, not my alcoholic mother. They're talking about that, and basically Craig decides to make it about himself and how he too is alone. And he brings up how his wife died. This is very random. I think it literally comes out of them just talking about how they're both alone. Well, once he finished the story, I was like, what did that have to do with anything? And he goes, yeah. uh." However many years ago, I was retiling our pool and I got a call that my wife, who was a flight attendant, her plane crashed. And so every day of my life, I try not to drink and I have survivor's guilt (laughs) about her. (laughs) I I was like, I I had to rewatch that scene. I was like, so what what does that have to do with Olivia being lonely? And he's just like, yeah, my wife. (laughs) <laughs> scattered all over the bogs the bogs of new york or whatever the fuck i was like dead as said martha was scattered all over the swamps of florida he said that he did i'd be so mad if my husband was recounting to his hot subordinate that my body was scattered all over the marshes of florida make like, it florida. sound hot like my bo- my body was scattered over like the beaches of france not the swamps of Florida. R.I.P. Marge. R.I.P. And Liv manages to take this, this rant, this not drunken rant, and relate it back to the victim. And she says that Gretchen was, and she says, sleeping with every guy on the block trying to basically blast her mind into oblivion. So a very sad conversation. It is sad. And props to Olivia for actually bringing that back around because I was like, what? I would have sat there and been like, what? So Craig and... Takes that note and he basically says, Olivia, you're going to solve this case. Just like, he basically is like, just get to know the victim better or keep trying. It was some, <laughs> it was some bizarre pep talk. So I had. love it because he gives her this like really beautiful pep talk. And then the very next scene, they are all going back through the case, kind of digging through all the details. And Cragen out of nowhere just starts going, we need to be following the therapist. His fingerprints were at the crime scene. We need to be talking to him. And I'm like. You just told Olivia she was going to do such a good job solving this case. And now you're yelling. Exactly. He went from like this really sweet kind of fatherly, like, oh, we all have traumas. (laughs) My wife died over the marshes of Florida. And then the next scene is him going, why aren't we talking to the doctor? (laughs) But Olivia, who now has like sad single woman ESP with the victim, goes, no, we need to follow the father. 
so then Elliot suggests they need to break the sister, literally says break the sister and to get to the root of it. Um, and there's a bunch of gross, ta- Munch says a bunch of gross stuff mm-hmm. about Gretchen between the productivity of this conversation. So I hate him again. <laughs> I forget how this came up, but he was like, maybe she was writing a book about her pathetic childhood. Everyone else's. Uh, yeah, her pathetic childhood wow. actually included rape. So yeah, he's very flip. Her life was tragic, not pathetic. Dick. Dun dun. Dun dun. <laughs> so we find Ellen Travis and she has got the coolest pair of like 90s black sunglasses on, like the tiny sunglass. Yeah, she's if she's using her trust fund, she's using it right. Yeah, she and I don't care what anyone AF. says. She looks chic and she's having none of it. She's no. about to leave. She's going back to Colorado on a train, I think she said, which is weird. Um, might have been a plane. <laughs> <laughs> but so I'm going back to Colorado and Liv is basically trying to get her to stay and help them figure this out. And Ellen accuses Liv of thinking that Ellen is heartless, that she doesn't care about her sister. Which is kind of what Ellen did say to us. She kind of did. And she low key, even in the last scene, which we're getting to, it didn't 100% seem like she was taken up for the sister. It kind of seemed more like she was like, yeah, I'm fucking mad. Anyway, but Liv reminds her that, or she tells her, I don't think she knows, that Ellen and Gretchen's father now has another daughter with his new wife who's around 10, which I don't know if that was ever mentioned, but apparently that's how old she is. And Ellen gets this look on her face and Liv says, you know what's going to happen to her if you don't help us with this. And Ellen does know. Her face is just like stricken. Kind of in that scene, we leave it up to her. Is she or isn't she? We go back to dun, 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 <laughs> dun, dun. <laughs> we go to the station. Oh, I shouldn't be laughing. Because <clears throat> this scene's fucked up. Um, so they're back at the station and Mr. Stigarsi's sitting there in the interrogation room. And Ellen, Liv, and El- Elliot are all watching him from the um, two-way mirror. Ellen is activated. She's ready. She goes, She's can you like, imagine being a little girl in his house? Robert. Like, is his name. Robert. Robert Sadarsky. So Ellen walks into the interrogation room and Robert, her father, tries to hug her. She tells him to fuck off pretty much immediately. She goes, don't touch me. She is furious and immediately makes me very uncomfortable. So he says this, and I'll never forget the first time I watched this episode, I thought it was like so upsetting. She goes, don't touch me. And he goes, honey, baby, sweetie pie. Which is when I start to turn on Robert Sadarsky. I'm like, oh, ew, no. Ew, too many names. So then Ellen responds, is that what you call your new one? Give daddy some of that sweet pie. Oh, Oh my God. Uh, Oh my God. Visceral. I feel like Robert Sadarsky's actor, I feel like his reactions to this whole scene were legit. He was not prepared for this chick to come in and serve. So he responds, I don't know what you're talking about, because she's obviously alluding to the rape. So Ellen accuses him of killing Gretchen slash Susan, and he says he wasn't in the city the night that Gretchen died. And Ellen says, not that night, the other night. And so then Mr. Sadarsky goes, Ellen, I think you're making a costly mistake, alluding to, of course, the large living trust that Ellen is buying Saks Fifth Avenue suits off of. She laughs at him in a very cold way. She's like, oh, do you know what Susan called that money? Blood money, which and mm. she's very graphic through this whole scene, which is her right as the victim. 
but she's like like the blood from the first night you held her down. And I was like, I'm, my palms are sweating. I'm really uncomfortable. He says that that is ancient history. And she says it's not ancient history and that she plans to move forward with telling her story to a New Jersey judge and prosecuting him for rape during her childhood. So that's the part that we were kind of like, huh? So she says here that um, Olivia told her about this law that if she says that she is just starting to remember, um, if she is just starting to have these memories, they can prosecute from when she starts having the memories. And she's basically implying that she's going to start having these memories. But the law she refers to is a real law, but doesn't have anything to do with that. And like I said, when I Googled New Jersey statute of limitations, they could just move forward and prosecute him. He tells her that he has a whole new family now and that she and she says that's a whole other reason why she's motivated to pursue this because she doesn't want it to happen again. Ellen pulls out from her pocket a letter and Robert Sadarski's like, what is that? She's like, it's a letter. Susie wrote it to me and sent it to my house in Colorado. My husband found it, who you'll never meet. He faxed it to me. (laughs) I just love the whole, who you'll never meet. It was such a good random sidebar. So the letter is basically um, detailing, it, it starts out saying that Gretchen has died. And it's speaking of Gretchen in the third person. And it's calling out on purpose. It says that the letter hopes to call out the men who brought Gretchen to this place in her life. Just this place of sadness where she ultimately killed herself. And it calls out Dallas Warner for being a perfect boyfriend except for the wife and kids. Calls out her therapist who knew her inside out. Biblically, spiritually, sexually, Mm -hmm. she says. And her father. Her father. Her father! And then Ellen takes the letter and shoves it into Robert Sadarsky's face. Gretchen has read everyone to filth in this letter. And then she concludes the letter by saying she died by suicide by falling out of a window. So we find out that indeed there was no murder. She reads everyone to filth. It's, it's very 13 reasons why. Yeah, it is. You're right. It's super... It's super revengey. Um, I, I don't hold it against her for calling out her father or the therapist, but I do think it's very unfair to put Dallas in that letter. He's just an ex-boyfriend. Ellen reads the letter, shoves it in her dad's face, and she's just crying and repeating over and over again. She was 32. She was 32. And she's kind of leaning into her father, and it's very awkward because you can tell he's trying not to touch her. So his hands, if you rewatch it, his hands are just kind of grasping at the air. It's really weird. Some really weird physical acting. I remember seeing that because I remember thinking now, like, yeah, again, like, it's like she's basically, you know, not basically, she's actively, like, calling him out for raping her sister, her during childhood, and now she's kind of leaning on him and crying and, like, just the whole thing was, it was, it was... It was notably uncomfortable in a great way, especially for the subject matter, because the whole time you're like, ugh! Yeah. And that's the end of the episode. I kind of agreed with you. I didn't think Dallas should have been in that letter because, I mean, petty me might have done something like that, but he really didn't do anything except for like, I mean, he did. It's like not leaving your wife. <laughs> I guess if, I guess if you're the side piece in the situation, he did everything wrong. Stayed with his wife and kids. Yes. Oh, Dallas. Well, I mean, they treat Alice like, Alice, Dallas like he's the asshole of the episode. I'm like, he's like the, of the three men involved he is the least bad in my opinion 
Yeah, I guess if they were trying to do some type of like deep sort of like levels of betrayal, like his betrayal would have been like loving her, but not with his whole self or keeping her a secret. Obviously, the, the doctor's betrayal was getting her to reveal these really terrible, traumatic aspects of her life and then fucking her, which was part of her trauma. She's a sex addict. Oh, yeah. And then her dad, obviously, for being a gross, needless to say, Disgusting. a gross fucking piece of shit. Disgusting pervert. So this is our second episode in a row where the victim is living under an assumed name. I was thinking that too. Yeah, so, we have a, yet another episode where there's a whole new name that we had to remember and we just gave up on her original name. <laughs> and then the other thing I wrote down is that the detectives didn't have much to, if they had done nothing, it would have solved itself. Like the, the good that came from this is clearly that now um, Ellen is going to pursue charges against the father, get the father away from his new daughter before any more generational trauma can happen. But I was still like, all right, after all that, Susan slash Gretchen solved her own murder. Well, I think that's why you and I were talking like before we were like, this was kind of an easier one to take notes on because yes. there wasn't as much minutia. It's like there was minutia. But there wasn't as much minutia that we had to remember to like, because it was kind of just cut and paste. Yeah, it was like, you know, this happened. It felt much more like a classic Law & Order SVU episode. Though, as I said that, I I still feel like the most classic SVU episode is one where there's, I guess there's usually like an alive victim who has been sexually assaulted and then going through those channels. That seems to me like what SVU is at its core. And we still haven't had one of those episodes. Right. This was giving more like standard original law and order. Mm-hmm. And we still haven't been to court. I know we don't have a, like an ADA yet. We're just using Abby Carmichael right now. But we haven't gone to court. There's a lot that hasn't happened yet. My my favorite but also least favorite part of this episode was the egregious slut shaming. Just so much slut shaming. Oh my God. So much slut shaming. Just, just a lot. I know they're reflecting the truth, but it, it did feel very heavy handed. And I but I, I wonder if at the time it didn't feel so heavy handed because now we think about that a lot more. That's another thing, too, because I was like, it's like, am I? Uh, well, I'm offended by these things because they don't seem like that big of a deal. Like when they were reading her article titles out and they're like 10 ways to achieve the best orgasm and they're kind of laughing at it. I'm like, I understand it's like a funny kind of like embarrassing title but it's like that's a real like there are real sex therapists there are real like you know it's like it's not like that corny of a thing but I maybe that's it's just dated right it's, just it's like, like of the times to be oh 10 ways of an orgasm nowadays like i follow influencers on instagram who are like hey do you want to buy a vibrator all right exactly <laughs> like there'll be like literal memes where they're it's like something about a dick and then the next slide is like a vibrator i'm like oh this was an ad for a vibrator okay those make me mad because I'm usually trying to follow a meme account for hilarious memes and I'm not trying to do some personal shopping. But I mean, yeah. I'm not like I'm not offended on a prude level. I'm just kind of like, this isn't why I follow this account. No, like that happens a lot now where they'll it'll be like today years old and they'll they'll post like a thirst trap and everyone's like, that's not why we're here. <laughs> that makes me so mad. They're like, oh, she likes to dress up. And I'm like, one comment that always gets me in those is like, you know, when you go into the comments to watch people argue and then you scroll down far enough and there'll be one where it's someone goes, don't you 
dare watch my story. I always really want to watch the story. <laughs> the one it's like, I bet you can't last 10 seconds watching my story. And I'm like, last 10 seconds at what? Yeah, what? <laughs> Are you showing your asshole or your vagina? <laughs> <laughs> and they're not showing either because it's Instagram and Ugh. they can't. <laughs> OnlyFans ads. <laughs> oh, we were talking about how disrespectful everyone was about oh, yeah. Gretchen's life, her career. This woman was literally Carrie Bradshaw, except for the abuse part, and all people did was shit on her. I know. That really bothered me. I was like, honestly, her life sounds pretty cool, besides the fact that she has a really bad therapist who isn't helping her with her trauma. Uh, so next week, or next episode, we're going to be doing season one, episode three, titled Or just look like one. Ooh, exciting. Well, thank you so much for joining us, our elite squad of 10 people. <laughs> <laughs> we love all 10 of you. All 10 of you so much. <laughs> Bye. Bye.